0: Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and it's good to be back here uh, recording a podcast for you guys. I know it's been a little while and hasn't been super consistent, uh, but that's all right. I'm doing what I can. Um, part of it is that we've been working on a lot of other stuff. I thought I'd quickly fill you in on some updates and then you know get into the things I had to mention. Um, one of the things we've been working on is we just released a positive shoe bias in our, uh, it's called the training suite, our really uh, set of training drills within the membership. And so what the positive shoe bias is, is that you can click this little button and it's going to basically guarantee that you're going to get positive true counts. And the reason for that is that's really what you need 90% of your training to be. I mean, if you can play basic strategy and you can keep the running count, then you know you can play through negative shoes, but it's in those positive shoes that you're making your betting decisions, your deviation decisions primarily. So we added that, and it's been uh, we've gotten really positive feedback, but we've been working on that. Uh, also, I think we put out something like 20 new members only videos this year. So these are not the videos that are on YouTube, these are ones that are just for uh, you know, members of the site, and so that's been a process. Uh, filmed those earlier in the year and then we've been editing them and getting them released. Um, Also, we've been working on our pro betting software. Um, We're we're working on some new rules and we're working on just uh, some features to make it better. And and that's just always a process, software development. And we are just, I think this week, releasing uh, an Android app. We've had an iOS app for, I wanna say 12 years now. And people have been asking for probably a decade when we'd come out with an Android app, and about a year ago, finally decided let's let's do it. Even though there are some challenges to creating an Android app because there's like a million Android phones, but we are just about ready to release our Android app this week. So that's been a process too. Um, anyway, that's what I've been up to, other than the monthly BJ YouTube videos and putting out podcasts when I can, and you know, being uh, at home with with a wife and six kids, um, and you know, normal life stuff. But what I want to talk about today is there's, I guess I'll call it a mailbag. It's not really a mailbag. If you have mailbag questions, feel free to email them to me, uh, Colin, C-O-L-I-N, at blackjackapprenticeship. I'm not going to spell that out for you, but you can you know, use your uh, your spelling, your dictionary or or whatever to figure that out, Colin at blackjackapprenticeship.com, Colin with one L. But uh, these are, I wouldn't say mailbag, but just kind of some some things that I've taken note of over the last few weeks that I thought I would get into. And then I wanted to talk about some takeaways, some notes I took down from the last Blackjack Ball. And you're probably thinking, wasn't the Blackjack Ball like six months ago? And I think it was actually closer to eight months ago. But here we are. And I, I wrote these notes down the weekend of the Blackjack Ball, and I've been meaning to you know, talk about these things. I actually was trying to lure my wife or one of my BJA friends that was at the ball with me into recording this with me, and no one wanted to do it because I don't know. They're they're all just a bunch of losers. No, I don't I don't know why they don't want to, but here I am and I'm gonna just talk about it myself. So let's get into some of these questions. Uh not questions, but things I want to talk about. The first one has to do with timing your sessions around busy hours. So there can be this kind of debate of, do I play when the casino is empty so that, you know, tables are less crowded, more rounds per hour, stuff like that, but then there's more attention uh, on on me from, you know, the pit boss and all that stuff? Or do I play, you know, when the casino is busy and the pit bosses are more busy, but then the tables are more crowded? Well, you know, it's it's... I think it really comes down to what you care more about: uh, EV per hour or or cover. And then I'll get into kind of a, a creative the way that I've always liked to do it. But the problem if you're playing when it's empty is you're getting extra heat. And you know if you want to try to last longer, you know if you're the only person in a casino that's throwing out, you know, black action, throwing out hundred dollar bets or purple action, five hundred dollar bets or whatever you know, that's going to stand out much more than when the casino's busy and the pit boss is running all over the place. So you're going to get extra extra scrutiny. But if you're playing a table heads up, as opposed to a full table, you're going to be playing, even in COVID uh, times where a full table is three people, you're still going to be playing twice as many rounds per hour. So, you know, you can generate twice as much per hour. So you have to kind of say, well, is the heat worth it? You know, um, getting twice as much attention, is that going to be you know, worth it to make twice as much money per hour. But the problem with crowded conditions, I mean, it can be right now, it can be hard to find a table during COVID because it's three people to a table. I don't know why casinos aren't just opening more tables because I would think they would want to make more money and they just have to cover the cost of, you know, the the dealer, really possibly an extra pit boss. But I would imagine one player is going to generate that much negative EV to cover cover that expenses, but whatever, Casinos are gonna do what they're gonna do. And it can be difficult to find a table right now when it's crowded. Um so, you know, if if you want that, if you want to try to blend in more, go for it. But you just got to account for you might be making half as much money per hour or maybe even less. So what I really settled on when I was playing full time was to try to play those like pre-peak hours or post-peak hours. So uh, my favorite days of the week were Thursday and Sunday. Thursday, casinos seem to be kind of opening up more tables preparing for the weekend because, you know, Thursday is the new Friday or whatever. Like they have more tables open on Thursday than they do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, especially Thursday evening. But it's not yet as crowded as it's going to be Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday during the day. And, uh, the time I like to show up was around 9 PM because most people still have work on Friday by nine, the people it's starting to thin out, but they still seem to have enough tables open. And if you're on that table, they tend to keep it open. You know, if you're betting enough money, they're going to keep it open until you leave the table. Um, so Thursday night was one of my favorite times. And then Sunday night and Sunday night, it's kind of the flip side, which is they've had all these tables open all weekend and they're going to start closing down tables by Sunday night, but if you show up at the right time, you know, again, maybe 8, 9 p.m., people are going to start heading home because they got work on Monday, but there's more tables open than there would be, you know, during the day on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So those were my favorite times to play, but but the whole point is try to find those optimal times where, you know, it's it's ideal playing situations. There's enough tables to play. Um, it's not super crowded, but it's not it's not empty, if you've got more tables at your disposal, then you can generate more rounds per hour than if you've just got you know one table that you're waiting for a seat at. So I know everything's weird during COVID times, but just think through it. Really, the goal, and I've said this before, I say this at every boot camp. The goal isn't to play blackjack. The goal is to generate positive rounds per hour. To, to generate positive rounds of blackjack, and the more you generate per hour, the more money you make. So. Think of it that way, and it is a balancing act of heat versus, you know, just rounds per hour, but you can make that decision. I generally go for rounds per hour and not worry about heat as much. Which brings me to the second thing I want to bring up, which is playing through heat. And what brought this to my attention was listening to a recent Gambling with an Edge mailbag podcast. And if you don't listen to Gambling with an Edge, I recommend it. Uh, I mean... Bob Dancer, Richard Munchkin. these guys are are experts in in their fields. They're experts in professional gambling. They uh, you know, are friends with the most brilliant and successful professional gamblers out there. And then they're sharing this information, you know, for free. So I would definitely listen to that. But they were talking about someone had asked them a question about, you know, um, I think they even said that I teach just playing through heat and don't worry about it at all. And that's not far from what i would say in in my book i talk about you know when do you want to shear the sheep like you can shear sheep many times and when do you want to just skin the sheep so if it's your local casino you know you might decide i don't want to just burn this place down i want to be able to you know take money from it over a long period of time because it's convenient it's close maybe you're enjoying some comps there. And so you might not wanna be as aggressive with your bet spread there. And if you're getting any sort of heat, you might wanna just head home, give it a week or two, play on a different shift or whatever. Um, but if you're on a blackjack trip, you know this is the thing that I learned the hard way and that uh, you know even Josh Axelrad talks about in Repeat Until Rich is you don't wanna back yourself off. And so what that means is if you're on a blackjack trip and you're getting heat, you have to ask yourself, am I gonna be back here anytime soon? And the odds are you're not gonna be back there soon enough that it's worth, you know, leaving and trying to save it for another trip. If you're halfway across the country, just keep playing through the heat. Maybe they don't back you off and you get more EV in. Or if they do back you off, at least you know, okay, I won't come back here rather than leaving, flying back, you know, a month later and getting backed off from your previous trip, getting backed off in like half an hour. But there's kind of a bigger, question that you need to ask yourself, which is really, what are your goals? If your goals are to maximize EV, then everything I just said probably makes the most sense. If your goals uh, are to play as much blackjack as possible or to enjoy the comps as much as possible, then you might not want to play through heat. You know, if you enjoy beating the game more than you care about the money, then, you know, don't don't play through heat if you want money more than you care about being in casinos playing blackjack then my advice is to really say what is your time worth so you know what is your time worth of leaving the casino coming back another time versus just continuing to play and seeing what happens so you know i don't want to say there's a right and wrong answer but i do want to share from my experience of backing myself off and when i was doing this professionally you know it was so dumb that i'm like great Am I really gonna drive six hours back to this casino that was giving us heat just to hope that I last, you know, again? All right, the final thing I want to talk about this was a private message I received from BJA member Equa Gringo. And what he asks essentially is when we get those running high counts early in the shoe, let's say you've got a running 20 with four decks left, so we have a true five. Um, should we be more cautious there? than we would if we had, let's say, a running five with one deck left, and it's still, it's the same true five. Basically, we know deck penetration is important, but is a true five as valuable at the beginning of the shoe as the end? You know, this is a question I've been asked plenty of times before, and, and something that I didn't know when I started out. And basically, what, what I wanted to share with him, and I'll share with you guys, is that Yeah, a true five is slightly more valuable at the end of the shoe than at the beginning, but not as much as you might think. And uh, Don Schlesinger talks about this in Blackjack Attack. It's called the floating edge, and he cautions people don't take it as a bigger issue than it really is. There, there is a slight increase, but really, what a true count does is it normalizes the. You know, a true count is a count per deck, and Uh, so yeah, a true five right at the end of the shoe, you know, is, is a little bit better, but not enough that you're going to be, you know, changing your bet spread much because of it. If, if anything, what I would say is if you barely have a true one or, you know, barely a true two at the very beginning of the shoe, then you're going to be a little more cautious, especially if the the rules are poor. If it's poor rules, then you might not raise your bet at a true one. I, I just shared a video uh, with our members about how to use our pro betting software to figure out if you even have the edge at a true one to make sure you're not raising your bet when the casino still has an advantage. But it might be that you don't have the advantage at a true one at the very beginning of a shoe, but you do at the end of a shoe. But that doesn't mean you're going from like no advantage to a massive advantage. It means you're going from a slight disadvantage at a true one at the beginning of a shoe to a very slight advantage at the end of the shoe. But the value of deck penetration. I mean, it's a huge deal, and I'm sure you've heard me, or Richard Munchkin, or you know any other blackjack expert talk about it. Deck penetration is really important, but but the reason why is because it's a few things. One, we're actually likely to get the high cards we're counting on, like literally uh, counting on. You know, I'm sure you've had it where you're playing through this positive shoe and you've got this really high rank count, and all of a sudden, boom, the cut card comes out, and you're like, no. I had a running, you know, 10 and now the cut card came off. Well, if the deck penetration would have been deeper into the shoe, you are more likely to have actually gotten those 10s and aces that that you were counting on. Those those 10s that are going to make a dealer bust more often on a 15 or 16, those aces that are more likely to give you a blackjack that gives you a, a huge advantage. So, you know, deck penetration is valuable because you're more likely to actually get the cards we're counting on, but also the deeper the deck penetration, the more positive true true counts we're gonna get. So think of it as if you have, let's say, a running 10 um, with, with five decks left. You've got, that gives you a true two. Well, to get a true two with one deck left, you only need a running two. And it's a lot easier to get a running two than it is to get a running 10. So with deeper deck penetration, you're gonna get more positive true counts in a shoe because the deeper you get in, you don't need as, as big of a swing in the rank count to get a positive situation. Well, if on top of that, um those true counts are going to last longer with with better deck penetration. Let's say you have a running 10. Well, the deeper you get into the shoe, the you know, like that example of the cut card coming out, if you could have if you could have continued to bet when you have those positive counts, it's just more positive bets per hour. So my point is, deck penetration is really important, but don't just say, oh, a true five at the beginning of the shoe isn't very valuable, and a true five at the end of the shoe is valuable. No, they're both valuable. Follow the betting software and trust the math, and it will all work out. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense to you guys. I wanted to now transition into talking about a few takeaways from the Blackjack Ball. So for those who don't know, the Blackjack Ball is an annual event. It's been going on for 23 years. It was started by Max Rubin and he hosts it and it's it's a group of I don't know, 100, 150 uh people that I think it's called like the greatest blackjack players in the world. Um and Ben and I got invited while we were running the church team. Um, I, I want to say like 2009, 2010, and, and it was just such a trip to to be there and to meet kind of these these heroes of ours um, from from when we got into car camping, and, and you know, people I would still consider heroes. But uh, I've been going most years since then, and uh, continue to go, bring my wife, and um, always enjoy it. It's 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 really a, a unique opportunity, but. I want to share just a few takeaways from it. Um, the, the first one is that we tend to gravitate to the people we most identify with. So when, when I was there this last time, this was the second or third year in a row, where um, my group, it was five BJA people. So myself, my wife, and, and three other BJA people. And we shared a table for the second or third year in a row with with a group of people from what I think is called the big team. I don't want to say the real name of of their blackjack team, but, you know, this blackjack ball is over 100 people, and we just seem to gravitate to the ones that we have things in common with. And I wouldn't say it's exactly like high school cliques, but it's not entirely unlike that. And so the big team, they were card counters, just like us, where there's this group of people that... Some of them were card counters, and I'll get into it a little later, but people that did, all, did and are doing all sorts of things, but also the big team, they were incredibly aggressive and fearless. And actually, a lot of the church team was influenced by or modeled after uh, this, this blackjack team, the big team. And as a result, a lot of even the BJ philosophy is modeled after them. You know, this is people that said, hey, we're here to beat casinos with card counting for as much money as possible. And they did. They beat casinos for millions and millions of dollars, as did the church team. And now, you know, uh, collectively, members at BJ have beaten casinos for many millions of dollars. Casinos, if you're listening, uh, forget that I just said that. So um, the the fun thing was, we, we actually didn't spend all this time talking about blackjack or backoffs or anything like that. But we we're discussing family and hobbies and you know this this big get together that we did that they were at um you know the the year before six months before but there's something about when you have a common affinity those are the people you tend to teem, uh, seem to gravitate towards and you know the connection seemed to have been made over the years because we just kind of seem to be cut from the same AP cloth. I don't, I don't really know. There isn't like some huge life lesson there. It was just an observation: is that, oh wow, we we sit with the people that beat the game the way we b- beat it with a similar ethos, and and you know may, maybe it's a good reminder to talk to people at the blackjack ball that have beaten different games and in different ways. Which brings me to my second point is that there are so many ways to beat a casino. And I, I think it's kind of funny at this point. I mean, it's not funny, but but there's some irony. It's called the blackjack ball. And I think it's because most people got into professional gambling through blackjack and card tang, but there are not a ton of people in the room, because I, I try to talk to as many people as possible, not a ton of people in the room that play blackjack anymore um, but there are people that are like Tommy Highland. They're still exclusively counting cards for a living. Um, there are people that ran major blackjack teams. There are people that whole card professionally, people beating comps for a living. There are a few people there that have beaten horse races for billions of dollars. And maybe they start out as a card counter, um, but transitioned into, you know, into horse race handicapping. There are people there that have beaten card craps and uh, video poker. I'm thinking of you, Bob Dancer. There are poker pros in, in the room and people who used shoe computers when they were legal, people that have written more about blackjack than have ever played it, um, and people that quickly transitioned from beating blackjack to beating the markets. So it's just a really diverse group, which can make Discussions really fun, or it can make discussions a dead end street really quickly. I, I don't know how many times I've tried to start a conversation with someone and say, Oh, you know, what what do you do? And they're like, Oh, I don't talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, do, do you play blackjack? Mm, not really. Okay. And, you know, it's like the conversation's over because they don't want to give, give away their secret game, which I'm not asking for. But, you know, it, it it's, can be fun and really interesting. I've had great conversations with people that have beaten, you know, like I said, markets and and horses and all sorts of stuff. Or it can be people. that's hard hard to like find that common ground. But uh, regardless, whatever. It's a unique, diverse group, and and uh, hopefully, you know, if you get further into your advantage play career, it might be that you completely stick with card counting, like like I have done. Um, but it doesn't hurt to meet people that think differently and do different things because, you know, even if you don't play the games they do or the way they do, you can still learn from them and vice versa. And having an open mind and thinking critically is absolutely going to, you know, uh, give you a greater chance of success over your career. So the third takeaway, I don't, I don't know, if it's called a, I guess the takeaway is that uh, my Tommy Highland nightmare was only a dream. So what that means is I think it was, you know, two or three nights before the blackjack ball, I had this dream that I was talking with Tommy Hyland at the ball and saying, you know, how's blackjack going? And he says, Oh, yeah, Colin, it's been really rough. I can't play at all anymore. I can't find games worth playing and they're not letting me play at all. And I, I feel like I'm basically done. And it was like, you know, I wake up from this dream. I was like, oh no, like that's awful. I hope, I hope it's not a, you know, a premonition or whatever. Well, fast forward to the night of the blackjack ball, and I asked Tommy how it's going, and he's like, yeah, it's going great. <laughs> he's he's playing plenty of blackjack, and you know, my my dream was only a nightmare, and it it it's. I guess at this point, it shouldn't surprise me. That he's continuing to have as much success as he's had for decades. But there can always be that nagging fear of this thing's going away. You know, it's just a matter of time before it goes away. And there could be a day at which card counting doesn't exist, but it's definitely not 2020. You know, the only thing that's made card counting going away was literally all casinos shutting down for months. But, uh, you know, aside from that, it's not going anywhere. It was just kind of a funny anecdote I thought I'd share. And hopefully I don't have any more uh, Tommy Highland nightmares. Um, speaking of Tommy, he's the nicest guy. Um, he's he's come to I don't know how many blackjack boot camps and just shared his wisdom and his story. I doubt he's listening to this. but But if you are, Tommy, we're incredibly thankful and grateful for you and hope that you're doing really well. All right. Number four. I just thought I'd share a few of my most memorable conversations. You know, like I said, it's a unique group of people, and I try to have good conversations with with people and, and learn from them or just hear what they're up to. And it's a, a large gathering of outside-the-box thinkers. So I thought I'd share a few of those. The first one was Hollywood Dave. So uh, Hollywood Dave, he wrote Hollywood Blackjack. He played on a large blackjack team. And he told me that he's currently – I don't I, – I think he's um, – Invested in and perhaps an advisor for a startup that is trying to be kind of like a Yelp for news media. So, you know, or, or maybe more like a Rotten Tomatoes. So we all know that that there's all sorts of media that is on this broad spectrum from accurate reporting to fake news, and you know, not on one side of the aisle, but on both, or all sorts of agendas. And I thought this was really interesting what they're trying to do is people can, you know, rate and review both both news sources based on the accuracy, the credibility of their articles as well as the individual journalists. And, you know, obviously things like that can be gamed. I know people have said rotten tomatoes people will get thousands of people to write bad reviews or to write good reviews to prop up a movie, but the idea is if if uh People are really rating and reviewing media sources. I'm not sure what their algorithm looks like, but Yelp has done a pretty good job of this. They they know when someone's trying to fake it, and you're going to get totally like penalized or all your good reviews removed if you're trying to game the system because their unique value proposition is accurate reviews of businesses. Well, to try to create that for journalism, I think that's a really creative idea. I don't know if they'll have success with it or not, but it was interesting um, and. Definitely a memorable conversation. I I remember speaking with Bill Benter. For those who don't know who he is, he is one of these people that he started out playing on a blackjack team. Um, I believe he he's played with Richard Munchkin over the years, played with Tommy Highland. He was one of the very early people to create the shoe computers when those were legal. But he went on to handicap horse racing. He's been incredibly successful for it. And he's just a, a kind, humble uh, horse race handicapping billionaire that occasionally drives for Uber just for fun. And I don't remember exactly what I was talking to him about this time, but but the thing that stood out to me is I'm sitting there and I'm trying to ask him, you know, learn how he thinks or or what he's been up to or whatever. And I see that he keeps kind of peeking over at the blackjack table where there's this tournament and it's this 21 question quiz that is incredibly difficult and very little that has to do with blackjack at this point. But regardless, it's this really difficult quiz and the top five people go to this final table. He keeps peeking over at this final table and then he just, he interrupts me and says, "Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta watch the final table. Um, And I, I thought that was funny because it just, you know, shows it, we're we're all just a bunch of normal people. He's he's a guy that, sure, he's made all this money through horse racing, but he's a guy that is enjoying hanging out with his friends, enjoying camaraderie, uh, enjoying this thing that Max Rubens created and this competition that, in one sense, like really the only thing about it is bragging rights. But you know, people care. People want to see who who wins it. Sometimes you win it by arm wrestling or wee boxing. I know it has happened over the years. Um, you know, really ridiculous things, but whatever, you know, people are there every year for this event. I don't know if the ball is going to happen this coming year because of COVID. Um, If not, I'll be looking forward to 2022, but uh, it, it's just, it's just fun to see, you know, these unique people, but at the end of the day, just normal people enjoying, enjoying a good time. The next conversation was with uh, Dr. Ed Thorpe. Ed Thorpe wrote "Beat the Dealer," which really started card counting. And um, you know, I've I've spoken with him I don't know a half dozen times over the years. I always enjoy it, and and he's a you know a critical thinker. I've enjoyed listening to him on podcasts and his books and stuff like that. But uh, he wrote a little blurb for my book that came out last year, and it's on it's on the cover of the paperback version, and. So I, I thanked him in person for writing that blurb for my book, which I didn't even know if it was something like he remembered or, or if it was just, you know, Anthony Curtis said, hey, will you do this? And, and so he said, okay, sure, write something for me or whatever. But he said he read my book and enjoyed it, which was really cool to hear. But before long, it's my wife and I, Dr. Thorpe, and his wife and Joe 748. And we're, we're standing around talking and the conversation turns from, you know, talking about blackjack or whatever we've been up to the last year. And then it turns into talking about scuba diving, which Joe 748 has done a whole a whole bunch of over the years. And I guess, you know, Dr. Thorpe's wife is a scuba dive instructor and he likes to scuba dive. And, and I'm, I'm standing here and I'm thinking, how did I, how did I go from waiting tables at, you know, a a burger place to substitute teaching to listening to a billionaire and his wife talk to a former blackjack student turned friend of mine about scuba diving and swimming with sharks. It was just one of those like surreal moments. And, uh, I'll have to catch up with him next year and see if he's done any more scuba diving and swimming with sharks, but whatever, a memorable moment. And the last conversation, uh, was talking, this was actually the, the next day talking with Max Rubin, about what they are doing um, through the Blackjack ball, they've created a nonprofit and they have a Hall of Fame committee that is is putting effort and money into helping people with gambling addiction and addiction recovery. And I just thought that was really cool that that there's there's a purpose. There's, you know, I think I mentioned this on other podcasts, but my favorite author says, you know, you really, uh, to, to have success with something, you need multiple bottom lines. It can't just be about money. Well, the blackjack ball isn't just about this event and having fun and a silly competition, but they've they've made it about giving back and about you know helping people that, that really do need help. So I thought that was really awesome. I told him let me know how how I or the BJA community can help be be involved with that, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Hopefully hopefully next year. So another kind of takeaway from the ball was was this after party, which is what I spoke to Max Rubin at. And the after party is the next day, the day after the the event. And and the blackjack ball is kind of this black tie event. There's always going to be someone there that's in jeans and a T-shirt, but most people are dressed up. and, And the idea is to have it feel more formal. Well, the after party the next day is very casual. And it's really where people kind of you know let their hair down more, more than the first night where there's all these things going on in this big event. It's normally the after party is at. Um, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, but this time it was uh, 50 or so people crammed into Huntington Press, which is uh, the publisher Anthony Curtis. Um, you know his publishing company that that put out my book and and you know countless uh, professional gambling books. And this was probably the last large hangout I did before everything shut down with Covid. You know, Covid wasn't a thing as far as anybody knew in in February when the the ball happened. And so it really stands out because I haven't been a part of a indoor hangout with, you know, 50 people all crammed together. but it was it was a really fun thing. Anthony, Curtis opened this giant bottle of champagne that he'd gotten as a prize from winning the skills competition at the Blackjack Ball a previous year. And there was catered food and, you know, just Blackjack experts and and family and friends that are serving up catered food and, you know, a ton more conversations. And I'd say much more than the first night, it's it's this after party that the real maybe networking and idea sharing happens. It's, it's not that the event is just about networking, but... It's where you can kind of uh, have more in-depth conversations. Maybe everybody's a little bit um, more closed off and guarded or uptight or, you know, trying to see who they can catch up with from previous years the first night. By the second day, it seems like you can have more in-depth conversations, which brings me really to the last takeaway, which is at the end of the day, it's, it's really just about community. This event that's been going on for 23 years—it's fun for me. You know, I've been a part of it for maybe 10 years, uh, so not even half of you know the as long as it's been going on. And even though it's been going on for 23 years, a lot of these people—they've been kind of teammates or you know, uh, professionally gambling—they've been networked with each other for many more decades than that. Some some of the people over 50 years. And so it's really fun to see the this group of people that have been meeting for this event for 23 years and many of them have known each other for, you know, longer than I've been alive and they're enjoying each other enjoying being a part of this game of blackjack and the pursuit of beating casinos that they have in common even if they haven't played the game in decades, you know, there's people there that they played in the '60s or '70s, haven't played since, but there's still this common bond. There's this camaraderie. There's this thing that nobody else in your life really understands, but the people in this room understand it. And so I, I don't know. I was just kind of like thinking about that, and I think that that's something that we've been able to experience at our at our boot camps, which you know I'm not doing anymore in 2020 but I look forward to being able to do another boot camp especially a post covid boot camp where you know it's not masks and and all that stuff but this opportunity to just hang out get to know people that understand you um network with people that have a similar pursuit of making money at this game beating the casinos and um you know enjoying that camaraderie and that common bond. I know that there was a Midwest meetup of BJA members a while back and I thought that was just really cool. This wasn't something I put together. I was told it was gonna happen and then I read about it, it sounded like it went really well. Obviously be careful if you network, you know, you don't you don't want to network with someone that that might have ulterior motives, but it sounds like you know people were careful and it was a really cool event and a lot of the feedback was it was so great to be around a group of people that think the same way or understand this thing or care about their skills at this game. Um, and, uh, I, I, just, I don't know, watching at the blackjack ball just had me thinking about, about how valuable community is. And and I don't recommend anyone try to beat this game without a strong support system or being a part of a community so that's that's it. I don't have anything else for you guys. I think we have a brand new video that should be out now on YouTube about six to five blackjack. And I actually have some more podcasts that I'm lining up that are more interviews with people that are out there beating the game professionally right now. I'm excited to do those interviews and get those out to you guys. But if you want to find out more, you can check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. You know, we have quite a bit of free stuff, but the special sauce is all behind the membership area. And I hope you guys have a great week and I will catch you guys later.